fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Well, who is this we? We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. Physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. I'm so excited for this episode. You know, people often ask me, what is my favorite book? I give lots of answers, usually just Lord of the Rings. I guess that's one answer. But if you say, what is my favorite novella or story? Um, I'd probably go with what we're discussing today. And it's certainly a version of this is my favorite movie. And I know we'll get to that later. We sure are, Den, and we are absolutely going to get to that right after we get to our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you recording from this week? Dan, I just saw an apparition dragging a crotchety old man over this beautiful London skyline. Something very strange is afoot, and I need to get to the bottom of this. Well, not only do you need to get to the bottom of this, Ben, but you're not alone because the three of us are going to get to the bottom of this. And we are going to talk about the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. And uh, guys, I think you can agree with me. It is about time that someone explained this story with science and technology. Because first off, there's a lot of versions of this story. We got a Muppet's Christmas Carol. We've got the Flintstones. You got Mr. Magoo, several television and film adaptations. There's even a modern day version called Scrooged. If you can consider 33 years old modern, but you know, no, I, I, what, the story's timeless, but I think from a scientific standpoint, this proves that there may just in fact be a multiverse. You know, I think you are so right with that, Dan. I mean, I look at it as a kid and I, and I really just knew the Magoo version because um, that's what was on TV. And it was interesting to see as the other versions emerged and I watched them. The core story is always the same, but the slight twists are very consistent with all of our past discussions of the multiverse. And I would suggest our viewers who have not seen these go back to our previous episodes. Probably the Rick and Morty would be a good place to start, um, to mm -hmm. start understanding what's going on here. But I really think you're onto something, Dan, because these are the same story, but the twists are a little different. I don't know, Ben, do you have a, a, a multiverse theory here or do you just think people like stealing the same story? Denon, that's right. I think the reality is that this is an evergreen story. There's always people twisted by capitalism into mistreating their employees, mistreating their common person. And you don't need to, you don't need to cheat. You don't need to steal. There's always, this is always happening. I mean, that's actually terrifying in some ways because it's a fundamental part of human nature to screw each other over. But... On that same token, it's also a fundamental part of human nature to realize their wrongs and to go in the other direction and become a friend of their fellow man. There's one interesting tidbit I want to talk about here right off the top of the bat. This show, this show, this story takes place in pre-Civil War England. Now, I'm using a, 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 a U.S. marker, a historical marker, to explain something across the pond over in England. But it's important because right around, you know, this takes place in the early 19th century, 1800, 1850. 
Christmas was a very different holiday back then. I didn't know that. You know, I just did an episode with a guy named uh, Ace Collins, and we talked about Christmas songs. But in that, I learned that Christmas was a very debaucherous holiday. England wanted to outlaw it. They did outlaw it, actually, um, when Alistair Cromley came. uh, Not Alistair Cromley. uh, Oliver Cromwell. I think (laughs) (laughs) Not Alistair Crowley. Those are two very different people. Uh, I don't know my English history that well, but I do know that those are two very different people. But it was almost like Mardi Gras. I imagine without the beat. That's probably a little too much for early England. But this was crazy. What do you guys think about that? There was no St. Nick. There was no present under the Christmas tree. It was people going to each other's houses trying to get figgy pudding out of them. It was like trick-or-treat. It was crazy, guys. That was nuts. What do you think, Denon? Well, you know, I find it interesting because I do believe, and again, my knowledge of this particular slice of history is not as good as it should be. But my understanding, particularly from some recent movies, is in some ways Dickens' A Christmas Carol not only is a transformative novella about human, you know, passion and how we can become better people, but it also was part of that first beginnings of the Christmas as we now think of Christmas. So it was a turning point in the history of Christmas, which may really have a lot to do with um, some of my future comments on what those ghosts of Christmas yet to come and Christmas present really are, Dan. I think there is a deep connection here. It is not, you know, coincidence that Mm -hmm. the first novella that has ghosts from various time frames of Christmas transforms how we think about Christmas. So... You know, I mean, I think that's just pretty obvious once you think about it, Ben. I don't know what you're thinking about this, but or if you are like Dan tracking English history through American Civil War history. Well, I just think it's interesting how much holidays like this have uh, evolved throughout the ages. You know, Christmas originally was wasn't even really a Christmas. Christmas. It was Saturnalia. It was a Roman holiday for uh, the solstice, and it has become this thing and it's brought in Germanic pieces and Nordic pieces and all these different things that we've uh, kind of combined together into our current history because what it does is it represents our melting pot of culture. You know, Christmas as it's celebrated now across the world is really the amalgamation of all the American, all the different cultures that came and brought Americans together into this single holiday. I think that's very well said, Ben. And I'm going to become a Scrooge here for a second, because this is kind of what annoys me when people always talk about that Christmas is this, Christmas is that, and they talk about the historical significance, when all of that is mostly made up. And it is, in fact, an amalgamation of so many other different types of traditions. The only true thing we know about Christmas is that it is no one thing in, in particular. It is everyone's kind of thoughts and beliefs as it goes through, as it's transformed through time as well. Not only is it every, you know, Crayola crayon melted together into one thing, but it's also transformed over time horrible analogy. Well, well, Dan, I think this, you know, not to interrupt you, but I think this is where we would refer our viewers to watch the Xena episode of A Christmas Carol <laughs> because it does a good yes. job of connecting the solstice celebration with the birth sure. of Christ in a very interesting way. Um, it, it is a good episode. I recommend it. We can deal with that at a later time. Not a lot of science and technology in the Xena episode, but some some fun shenanigans going on. I think of the Xmas from Futurama and poor old Tinny Tim, the robot with the crutch, uh, as a further thousand more years of evolution of Christmas, where now it's just Xmas, and they don't even remember anything about the Christian part of it. It's about Santa and gifts and nothing else. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's true. Another thing I learned is that Xmas is actually was you know three hundred years ago their preferred way to say Christmas because like texting people couldn't write paper was expensive and X was an easier way to do it. It was shorthand, uh, which also proves that things just always repeat. But speaking of repeating, I got to repeat myself here because I said I was a Scrooge. One thing, Den, and I believe you brought this up. You made a point of this is that Scrooge. That, that term that we use now, we don't really think of it as a human name as Ebenezer Scrooge. We think of it as someone who's miserly and angry and hates Christmas and it's kind of a mean person overall. But you point this out that he's really defined by what he was before the change and we should kind of be focusing on the after and that will become very vital in our discussion today. But I thought that was a great point, Dennis. Oh yeah, you know, it's one of my little pet peeves. I have many pet peeves and they're all little and this is one of them. Someday I'll have a big pet peeve, Dan. I'm working up to that, you know, it takes extra effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, small steps, small steps. But, you know, both, both Scrooge and Grinch get a bad rap. Here you have these two major, major figures in our mythos, both of whom managed to transform at the end and become just better humans or whatever the Grinch is. I'm not sure. I, I'm going to – maybe he's just a green human. Let's, let's embrace him as part of human. Green furry human. Sure. Human race. And yet society rejects their transformation and drags their name through the mud over and over and over um, to refer to just what they were before and just their evil characteristics. Um, imagine if that happened to all of us. Wouldn't that be sad? Isn't that is what is happening to all of us, Denon? You know, with the cancel culture, we're all getting defined by our worst moment that happened how many, 30, 40 years ago. Some people are digging way into people's past. People change. People are not, I'm not the person I was, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, I wasn't even born 20 years ago. Who am I kidding? Um, but, <laughs> not, but I think it's crazy when people, there, people change, and I think people can have these revelations. And I, we do. You have a great point. We should think about who people are now. Have they changed? Have they, you know, I think that's very important, Denon. And uh, I wanted to make sure we talked about it beforehand. It is. I, I will say it makes me a little nervous, though, Dan, um, because you and I are having this uh, uh, unfortunate trajectory on the show where we're going the wrong direction and Ben's going the right direction. So this may be a <laughs> moment in time where you and I need to breathe <laughs> and channel our inner Scrooges. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that. You're right. Ben is Ben is quickly becoming, you know, as we talk about, he's becoming a superhero. Den and you and I are quickly becoming supervillains. Uh, we can't have that. In a moment of reflection. I had a moment of reflection in this in this show as well, Den, and I'm glad you brought it up. Because, you know, I've talked on this show a lot about the exploding human population and we have to get it under control. Well, there's a famous quote in this story where where uh, I think it's uh, Scrooge's nephew is coming and talking to him and they're saying, hey, can you give some money to the poor, to the to the homeless and everything like that? You know, some of these people may die. And Scrooge says, well, if they're going to die, they should get on with it and reduce the surplus population. Now, I realize that suddenly I'm now in line with Scrooge. Now, I'm more of a let's do preventative measures to stop the exploding population, not let's destroy the existing population to reduce the numbers down. But I almost had to walk my stance back here a little bit. I can't be too in line with Scrooge. But to your point, Denon, uh, you know, I'm flirting with that supervillain line. Well, let's just hope the ghost of future, uh, you know, ghost of Christmas yet to come doesn't visit you too uh, scarily, Dan. But, you know, it is... <laughs> It is a way to get us to change. I don't know, Ben, how are you feeling? You know, you're, you're moving out of that evil robot, um, evil scientist mode. Um, Dan and I are, are, are rooting for you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that from both of you. I think what's interesting is, you know, Scrooge at the beginning equates his ethics and morality with he pays taxes. Are the prisons there? Are the, uh, are the poor houses there? Then I've done enough. And it, it just goes to show that, you know, 
while, you know, in some countries that is enough, but I think there's this, uh, this world that we have to acknowledge that what we do through our taxes isn't enough and that we, it is good to help our, our fellow human through more ways than just, uh, paying our taxes and, you know, contributing to society with money. I think that that's well said. And I think that that's, I, I love that transition because that is going to be, I think, a very important point that we are going to come to. But we're going to start with why this particular moment? You know, A Christmas Carol, for those of you who've lived under a rock and are not familiar with the story as it's bombarded almost as much as uh, uh, the movie with with Jimmy Stewart that I can't think of, It's a Wonderful Life, well, another one of my favorite movies. Those These two are, I think, fundamental stories when it comes to Christmas. They don't really have anything to do with Christmas, but they really encapsulate the spirit of Christmas. But we have to ask ourselves about A Christmas Carol, which is about a man named Ebenezer Scrooge who's visited by three ghosts and changes his ways. From a, from a scientific standpoint, guys, we have to figure out why this particular moment. Why is Scrooge chosen? Why must he change? What is the importance of this? And I started to think about Back to the Future 2, where Doc Brown has to has basically the downfall of the Marty McFly, of the McFly family. He traces it back to one particular moment. And I can't help but think that there is that someone in the future traced back Ebenezer Scrooge's moment to this particular point in time it's very crucial to the space-time continuum why is it because of his wealth and influence and that is almost like gravity and it warps everything around him and he has the potential to change or the potential to change society as a whole is what i mean or is this about tiny tim is tiny tim crucial to this story is saving his life crucial because when it comes down to this story he does, in fact, save a life, and it is Tiny Tim's. I don't know. This seemed almost grandiose when you start thinking of it, thinking of it like that. What do you think, Dan? Well, you know, Dan, you inspired me. I, I really, I really like this idea, and I'd never really thought about it before because I'm so focused on Scrooge. But perhaps Tiny Tim is the central character here. Um, Probably the people in the future know something about what Tiny Tim does, and it connects to the science of what are the ghosts really. I really like this idea mm -hmm. of time travel and time travelers that can't interact physically. And you bring mm -hmm. those two together, and it really supports your hypothesis. And I'd like to go into that more, but I'm curious, Ben, just as a starting point, where are you on this hypothesis? Is it Scrooge? Is it Tiny Tim? Or is it, you know, maybe Bob Cratchit? Because he does get played by Kermit the Frog, who we know is always the key <laughs> character. Well, I think we've also seen Kermit as a warlock and wizard and other things. So I think, you know, secretly, <laughs> Bob Cratchit is... Uh, done some, you know, maybe a little, you know, magic dust there on uh, Scrooge to mm. get him to change his mind uh, 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 over Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. You know, clearly Scrooge has something very deep has affected Scrooge over that night. And, you know, to have a change like that, you know, there's got to be some powerful chemicals or something going on. That's for sure. I think that there's some form of time travel, maybe even dream manipulation, because we don't really know what the ghosts are. Are they visions? Are they real? I don't know. But I know what I do know is this. It all starts with Jacob Marley. You know, he is dead. We know that in the story. He's dead, which makes our explanations a little tricky, but I think we can get through it. And Dan, I'm going to interrupt you there because you almost quoted it exactly. I mean, the book starts with that line that it's critical to remember that Jacob Marley was dead to begin with. Like, that's the beginning of the book, and Rizzo points out how spooky that beginning is. I just had to throw that in. I'm sorry, Dan. I, I hate to interrupt you, but that is okay. key to the whole story. That's what Dickens says. Marley is dead to begin with. So mm -hmm. now you may I go. Think it's, 
I think it's important, and I think if you're ever going to interrupt me, definitely quote Rizzo the Rat, because he's probably my favorite Muppet, new generational Muppet. But it is important. He's dead. And, you know, we have to mention this because he shows up as a vision on the door knocker. We hear voices in the house. We see a vision of him carrying all these chains. You know, you know, we've talked about spiritualism techniques on this show and, and in some of our our, um, our panels. And I think you can, if you are a time traveler and you're coming back and you need to convince, you know, as you said, we can't physically interact. What better way than using a ghost to, to non-physically interact? But you could use some of these other techniques. Denon, I know that you are an expert on the show The Unexplained. And is there, you know, you can talk about ghosts or the possibility of spiritualism techniques, but we have to address the Jacob Marley situation. So, you know, I'm intrigued here. I, I have a new view of this, and I'm bringing together a couple of our expertises here. Um, I'm going back to our Scooby-Doo episode. We explained a lot of this sort of stuff in Scooby-Doo. Clearly, the, the Scooby gang is very good at breaking through spiritualism techniques. And I've always accepted that the ghost of Jacob Marley was the ghost of Jacob Marley in the story. I've changed my mind in the last uh, 30 seconds to a minute here, Dan. Um, while I've been speaking, those are the 30 seconds speaking. that I was speaking. Yes, Crucial. You, you've changed my mind. So Jacob Crucial. Marley's clearly dead. We know that. It's unambiguous. And I think the future people are, to your point, using their time travel ability to create the experience for Scrooge of a Jacob Marley to kick the whole thing off. So it's a combination of a time traveler leveraging various illusion and spiritualism techniques. That's where I'm going for the Jacob Marley. Some other thoughts on the other ghosts all connected to time travel. I'm doubling down early in the show, Dan, though, and going with these are all time travelers at their core and tricks on top of that. Um, I don't know, Ben, where are you in this? Well, I think it's fascinating that there is such a convenient character here as Jacob Marley. You know, Scrooge is so cruel to so many people. It's fascinating that he trusts Jacob and calls him a friend even. And it's hard for me to even imagine him having a friend. So I, I'm, it, I'm almost questioning, it was Jacob Marley even real in the first place? Or is that even more of the brain manipulation going on? Because it's hard for me, it's mm. really hard for me to imagine that there was someone Scrooge liked. <laughs> Or that liked Scrooge. I mean, it doesn't have to go both ways, I guess. But You know, guys, I'm going to have to go, though. We, we learned from the Ghost of Christmas Past that Scrooge was not always True. evil. And so I, 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 think, right. I think there is a chance that his partner was truly a partner, and it was just his ongoing greed, their joint greed, and then his death that drove Scrooge ultimately over the edge. That's where I'm going with that. But it's a, it's a good thought, Ben. I, you know, he could be fake. He could be a product of Scrooge's imagination. I'm not going to rule it out, but I do think he's real. For all we know, the entire Christmas past is fabricated and just part of the illusion the ghosts slash time travelers are creating. We don't, this is all taking place in Scrooge's head. We don't really know if that past is in fact a true past or if it's being manufactured to make Scrooge become good again by showing him that, yeah, he was good once. I think it's important. I mean, what you're getting to, Ben, is what can we trust, right? And, you know, there's even a point where Jacob Marley says, you ask, he asks, why don't you trust your own senses? Because, you know, Scrooge is showing a lot of, a lot of skepticism on what's going on here. It blames it on food. You know, we've talked about the power of gut bacteria and the power and the direct link to the brain. I don't know if that comes into play here. I just love to mention it. Um, but it's, a, you know, why doesn't he trust his senses? Can he trust his senses? This is a fundamental theme of that interaction with Jacob Marley. Well, you know, I, I and I think it's something actually, Dan, 
And, you know, it's kind of a coincidence I've been thinking a lot about lately that, you know, how we as humans are so defined by our senses. And part of it is watching um, my dog, who's now 16 years old, clearly slowly lose her senses and how she interacts with the world around her. And also being very aware of all the optical illusions. I, I have to say I was fooled on a recent vacation. Not you, Denon. Say it ain't so. Not you, Denon. Oh, yeah. No, it was like it was. Well, I was I was, you know, I'd been relaxing in St. Martin mm -hmm. on a beach and there's a lot of alcohol around Dan. So, you know, sure. not that Your I had a had lot of dulled. alcohol. But it was just yeah. around. Round, right. Right. Your senses have been dulled. You've been lulled into a false sense of security. Those are the kind of situations where you can be fooled in. Where I can be fooled. I'm trying to take a picture of the moon, and I'm getting annoyed that it's not as large in my camera as it was out there on the sky. And I had totally forgotten about the classic optical illusion. When the moon is low to the horizon, it looks bigger than it actually is for lots of reasons about perspective and things. Mm -hmm. And the camera right. was reflecting reality, and my eye was not. So I'm kind of in that Scrooge Marley debate. Like, why should we trust our senses? They fool me all the time. Now, someone like Ben, who's an engineer, probably doesn't get fooled nearly as much. I don't know, Ben. Are you are you more trusting of your senses? Are you more careful? Or how does that work for you? I think, if anything, it makes me trust my senses even less because I know, <laughs> I know how uh, messed up our vision is and things like that. You know, our brains do a lot of work to correct uh, – for the deficiencies in our eyes, the deficiencies in the bandwidth from our eyes to our brain, you know, there, there's all these things that our brains fill in the gaps for us. And what I really like it, in being an engineer is being able to use actual sensors that can actually sample data at much higher rates than our per, our. Per, we as people are able to, mm -hmm. and you can actually kind of right. see what really is happening, not what our stupid brains uh, think is happening. <laughs> well, I think our brains are a highly, a highly evolved sensory organ, right? And I think it's important, you know, when you start thinking about what does your brain taking in, there is, you know, our brains are doing a lot of calculations. So not only are they're not just taking in raw data like a camera or a sensor or whatever, they're taking it and they're interpreting it. And I think that's important. That's key, not only to being a human and, and something you may not understand, Ben, but that's important <laughs> to being a human. It's a fundamental part of it, but it's also fundamental to our story because as we talk about Jacob Marley, that's a ghost, but he's visited by three spirits. Now, are these spirits, are they ghosts? Are they time travelers? Are they something else? This is important because they all come at very specific times. They seem to be aware of his past, present, and future. Now, this is, I think, this is fundamental to understanding who they are, what they are, and what their mission is because they seem to be able to project not only themselves, but take Scrooge back in time. They can't interact with the time, uh, but they can use that to affect, mentally affect, and maybe change the future. So this is where we get into a lot of the weird ways that Scrooge is affected, changed, and what are these fundamental, what is a spirit, what are they, how are they defined, then, and I'm curious what you think. Well, I think really what we're talking about here is fundamentally um, time travel through image processing. When, when you think of the biggest, we've talked about this a lot on the show, the biggest problem with time travel is, you know, not only are we moving forward in time, we're moving through space, there's all of these issues. Like you could go back to a point in time based on general relativity, but are the objects still even there? Is that even meaningful? But if you think about it as image processing and, and image records, um, for lack of a better word, right, we've talked about the, the, you know, the model of time where it all exists at one point, 
right? The block universe, right? Right. If yeah. everything is there, kind of like a film strip, so you can view it, you just can't interact with it. You have the ability to develop technology through whether you're using tachyons, which are an exotic particle that's been proposed by physics, or even neutrinos. You can create the equivalent of movies. So you can send images to Scrooge's brain directly. So you might call it dreaming. I would, would call it image time travel. And you can get him to interact with the images of past, present, and future. And you can send him images of the future and label them for he would think of them as spirits because of where he is in the 1800s. So right, to me, the right. core of this it recognizes the physical limitations whenever you start thinking of time travel, but preserves this what I would call image time travel. I've, I've coined a new Got name, it. Dan. I want credit for it. I love it. it. I love it. <laughs> we'll put it on a shirt, and that way you'll TM it for sure. Right. I, I, I think it's a great it's a great explanation. Uh, what do you think about this, Ben? I know that you're kind of interested in the in the dream possible dream manipulation, time travel. I think it all kind of combines when you when you explain it. I think what's really interesting here is that this is all taking place in Scrooge's head. So debating whether these are ghosts or or time travelers or anything else is kind of hard to it's really hard to get a handle on what's actually going on for all we know this is just a prequel to inception where the the uh you know the christopher <laughs> nolan uh strike team has you know has connected into scrooge's head to uh make him be good uh you know it's it's all relative when it's in your head when you're experiencing this in a dream between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day really anything could be going on and I think that's one of the great mysteries of this story is we don't really know what has caused this change of heart all we know is that Scrooge has had this change of heart I, I think that that that's important to note and one of the other things that I think is important to note is there's you know there's the ghost spirit of Christmas past present and future the present I mean this is all happening you know in the middle of the night as you mentioned Ben you know you know between midnight and 6 a.m or whatever but he does he is visited by the ghost of Christmas present but it's not really the ghost of Christmas present because the ghost of Christmas present would just be taking him to a bunch of people sleeping across <laughs> London it's really the ghost of the immediate future and I point that out not to be funny which I think it is but also because we are at no point seeing the present, really. We're seeing the past, and we're seeing the immediate future, and then the distant future. I think that's an important distinction. Am I right, Denon, or am I just being silly? Well, no, I, I think it does connect to my projection time travel idea. And the thing is, what, what we're saying is, obviously, um, you know, the ghost of Christmas about to happen in the morning is a little long-winded. And <laughs> right. so that's why we shorten it to the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah. You know, Not as pithy, not as catchy. Though. It's not as pithy, not as catchy. And you don't get the pun of present and present, right? Like, you know. Oh, I didn't catch that. I like that. Thing. Yeah. Oh. So, but I do think what's interesting is many of the events he sees are actually happening and then he then visits them even though he changes them slightly. So I do think there's an element there. I think the interesting one from a dream versus time travel point of view is Christmas yet to come because in principle, that's what he's trying to change, right? He's okay with what he sees a little bit in the next day. He changes it some by showing up at his nephew's dinner where he wasn't there you know, in the image. So there's a little changing of the future, the immediate future, as you would say. But it does raise the question, you know, in one hand, if it's all just dream manipulation, it could be people from the future recognizing that this has to happen um, and making it happen because it already did happen, right? That's always the classic paradox in time travel. 
Or it could be them really trying to go back to your multiverse idea, Dan, create a new time stream um, that they go down and they show them an image of a possible future because they can take all of the possible quantum opportunities and make an image of any. They pick the scariest image to make sure they end up in the place they want to be. I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, I think that's that's perfectly logical. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, you're making this distinction of near present and far, or near, fu- <laughs> near future and far future. But I think the reality is I don't even necessarily think that far future is very far in the future. You know, Scrooge is kind of old and he seems kind of, uh, you know, he doesn't seem like he's in the best of shape at the beginning of the film. So, you know, that could just be like, you know, New Year's. Uh, <laughs> so, so they're both the immediate, one's the immediate future, one's the slightly, medium grade slightly future. Slightly less immediate yeah. future. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, I do I do think, as they say, I don't think that, that um, Dickens used the phrase future. I think he did use Christmas yet to come, which ah. does not have, you know, a real timeline on it. Um, well, if it's mm-hmm. Christmas yes, yet to come, then it's... It's maybe next year when uh, the present for everyone else on Christmas is that Scrooge is gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. It's a cut dark. Well, you know, and I think this is all really important, but I want to ask this fundamental question again, and I don't know that we can necessarily answer it. But, you know, we've talked about Scrooge. The movie is about changing Scrooge. It's about that moment in time. But for what purpose? I want to come back to Tiny Tim because I think he is the reason. I think he is the, the, the point, the purpose. Saving him is important. But why? We can only speculate, but I'm curious what you guys, how can Tiny Tim be this important? Does he lead some communist revolution? Does he take England into the next, into the new year, uh, into the new generation? Does he lead them into war? I don't know what goes on, but Tiny Tim's important. What do you think, Dan? You know, it, it is one of those great mysteries, Dan. I've been trying to figure that out throughout the whole show. You know, clearly Tiny Tim has a transformative behind-the-scenes um, experience because we don't have a Nobel Prize you know, winner called Tiny Tim or uh, you know, uh, any variant of that. I, th- I think it would probably be something more official. Like, I think it would be more like Timothy or Dr. Uh, Dr. Cratchit. Right, yeah. So, yeah. But we, I, I, don't, I don't remember in my, my history books Timothy Cratchit or you know, <laughs> you know, being, being transformative. But I think what it says is how important all of us are. I think this is a hopeful message. There's a two-step message here, Dan, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to very hopeful, optimistic, Dan, in which you know I am the optimist because yeah. I do not believe I'm an apocalypse denier. Um, mm. I, think, <laughs> I, I think, you know, if Tim, Tiny Tim stays injured, the apocalypse happens. And this is another way we avoided the apocalypse because Tiny Tim staying injured, even though he dies, he's just disgruntled enough before his death. He triggers off some... Uh, you know, evil um, germ warfare. Um, he figures something out in that regard, wiping out Victorian England, which we know is, you know, a cornerstone of so much in the future, um, sure. it, leaving the world undefended when Nazi Germany tries to take over. Um, whereas a happy Tiny Tim does not cause all of this. I think it's the absence of a negative not a positive per se that we're seeing here. That's what I'm going with. Wow, that's pretty intense. I don't know how close it is to being reality. I'm curious about your connection to reality. I'm perfectly honest with you, Denon. Uh, but I love that explanation. It could be right. Ben, what do you think about this? I think Tiny Tim is interesting. I think he's really maybe a symbol. And if anything, making him better makes him not able to be a symbol. Like if you don't have this poor, you know, kid with the crutch uh, to inspire everybody, uh, maybe that prevents this uh, workers revolution that 
we so desperately needed back in Victorian England. And by him being, uh, if anything, maybe there's a little bit of some evil afoot here by Scrooge helping Tiny Tim and making him uh, just okay enough to not inspire other goodness. Uh, it perpetuates the un inequality of Victorian England for another century. Okay, I think Ben just took us in another <laughs> I, I, dark turn. I think we've we've now gone he's becoming Scrooge. We're bec he's becoming Scrooge post pre-ghost. We're becoming Scrooge post ghost. Uh Ben things are back to normal. We're gonna end the year where things are back to normal where Ben is evil, then and you and I are good. I'm I'm more neutral, I think. Uh but but things are things are starting to level out here. You know that's these are interesting points. You know when when I think of Tiny Tim, I kind of immediately thought of like John Connor from the Terminator series, right? Like they send these robots back in time to save him because he's important for some revolution for the the importance of humans taking over the robots. This is obviously, you know, we're not going to have steam-powered robots at the turn of the century, so I don't think that that's really what's going on here. But I think Tiny Tim in a future where in the if we take the Christmas Carol and we extend it out into the future, I think he is vital to the workers' revolution. I think he's vital to maybe the industrial revolution. He brings maybe brings humanity into a brand new uh, awareness, a brand new era. That's my opinion. I think he's important here, and I think we all should know that the center of a Christmas Carol is not. I think we can all agree that the center is not Scrooge, it is Tiny Tim, and I think that that's very important to note. Uh, but I think, you know, we've, we've arrived at the end of that particular story, but we're going to start the Errors, Editions, and Omissions section, which is one of my favorite parts. I think we've probably, we've covered a lot. There might be some Errors and Editions here that we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about A Christmas Carol, any version, any time, um, you know, time travel, any type of time that you wanted to get to that we didn't quite get to? I do want to say, so just sort of kind of two comments. One is you and I have talked about this. Um, there, there, this is one of the rare moments where there is an error in the VHS version. They put the song back in that they had taken out for the theater that they should leave out. Um, with the song out, this is the Muppet Christmas Carol is the perfect movie. Um, you combine Christmas Carol, the great story, the Muppets, greatest actors of all time with music and you make it a musical. But Dan, I, I respect your, your decision that with that song in, um, and we may not, I don't feel the need to mention the song. Anyone who watches it knows what it is. Um, <laughs> the love is gone. The love is gone. <laughs> I hated that song, Denon. I, I you changed my life, Denon, by telling me they took it out. You're exactly right. I had the old VHS version, uh, and they took it out. And this, the movie is so much better without it. Uh, I, I Thank you so much for letting me know about that, Denon. Yeah, no, so that is awesome. And the other thing, on, on a semi-serious note, um, because this show is always very serious. I'm going to go back to semi-serious. Okay. Um, I, I do have to say and reiterate that Scrooge and Grinch really is such a favorite story of mine. And I really appreciate, Dan, you pointing out my soapbox moment. I think the world needs to regain Scrooge's and Grinch's name. I mean, if we could just <laughs> embrace transformation and make Scrooge yeah. and Grinch mean what it should. Yeah. Something positive and not what it does now. You know, their evil beginning. Um, I think we would all be in a much better place, and many Tiny Tims would be saved, Dan. Many <laughs> Tiny Tims. That's all I have to say. Um, I'm closing out with that.
I think that I I love that, Denon. It always struck a chord with me back then. I think especially in the times that we live in, I think it's very important to see the transformation of people and encourage that transformation. We all have, we're all human, you know, except for me. Everyone has a lot of pitfalls. They've got a lot of problems, personality issues. Who knows what's going on here? But to work on them, to change, to become a better person, isn't that what we are all striving for? That is what makes us human. Uh, Ben, you know, you should write this notes down so you can become a better synthetic human being. But is there anything that we missed that you wanted to talk about uh, about a Christmas Carol? I think Denon made a great point point there about uh, Tiny Tim's, not Tiny Tim. Uh, we have to save all the Tiny Tim's, not just one. And that that is my concern with this uh, the story overall is we know Scrooge started poor, got rich, and became evil and miserly. And so my concern is if you just bring one tiny Tim up, does he remember where he came from and is he willing to save the world or does he become miserly and part of that upper class looking down on the lower class just like Scrooge was and he has to have his own ghost visit him, you know, 70 years from now. So don't save any because they'll just perpetuate the cycle. Is that what you're saying, Ben? Uh, Create a strong social safety net so that all the tiny Tims can live comfortably uh, and not create one rich one. (laughs) Got Got it. That makes perfect sense. You know, you guys kind of went in a different direction. So I I may have mentioned this. You know, I think the 1951 version, uh, you know, I'm the master of film and television, guys. So what I say, this, this has real weight in the cinematic world. But I think the 1951 version is probably my favorite. And there's a couple of interesting things in it, which this, this these are also in the other versions as well. But this is a very different time, guys, because, you know, Bob Cratchit is ridiculously happy to get Christmas Day off. Scrooge does not want to give it to him, but he does reluctantly. Could you imagine if Scrooge was running a business now? He'd have an aneurysm. We have 12 federal holidays a year that he has to pay for. I can only imagine what Scrooge would. I don't think I think he would give up business forever at that point. Um, and also, it's it, this is a you know, this particular episode, this particular version is a stark reminder of how far medical technology has come. Because, you know, one of the things that really affects Scrooge is the the death of his mother during childbirth. Um, And not only does that, his sister dies during childbirth. Things were very different back then. It was a very, you know, these are lessons for the, you know, there's a lot of conversations going on now. Uh, These are very important lessons that childbirth, even with our medical progress, is still a very dangerous um, procedure, especially back then. It's really crazy. Also, the last thing, when it comes to the cinematic versions of Scrooge, there's an original one done in 1901 that I found on this uh, on an article. I'm gonna put that up on the website. It's sil- it's a silent film. Obviously, it's 1901. Uh, it's pretty crazy. They do it in like four minutes. Can you imagine the Christmas Carol in four minutes? Uh, it's pretty intense. But you know, we've we've. If you want to get in touch with us, if you've got your own theories about A Christmas Carol, if you think that we are brilliant or you can poke holes in it, uh, good luck, by the way, you can get in touch with us. We're easy to get a hold of. You can find the show on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. But of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett, where can people find you? Well, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram. You just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. And then you can find me on Facebook. You stick in a prof at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. 
How do you spell that? You spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And you can find me on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you've got a question or comment and you want to send it in to us, it may be featured on a future episode. We can do you can do it via email questions at FGGBT.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate and review and confirm that you're subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that may allow you to alter the very essence of the space-time continuum. Now, if you decide to do this, please be very careful. You don't want to be a supervillain and create an existing ending paradox. You want to be a superhero and change history for the better. So to everyone, happy holidays. And of course, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.